and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here with Francis Murphy. All right, all righty. Uh, well, let's just let's just get it out there. Yes. <laughs> this is the second time we have recorded this because there was a bit of a technical hiccup with the preamble at the beginning of the last time. So essentially, we did two ten minutes of uh, mm. talking about our next film, the Star Trek Free Search for Spock, as part of our captain's log project however as we watched the film a certain laptop that was recorded uh well updated and we hadn't saved what we'd recorded so it's it's all gone lost in the ether so we're now doing this again we've now watched the film Mm. and we're just going to get into this one we're not going to pretend that we haven't seen it and do a preamble as if that would be that would be morally repugnant yeah so we've now watched star trek 3 Search for Spock. What do we think, Fran? Well, it is the second of the unofficial trilogy of Star Trek 2, 3, and 4. Mm-hmm. That then, you know, the, the Star Trek films do carry on, though, into 5 and 6, and, and even into Generations as well, the seventh one. This is what I've always classed in my mind as the sort of in between film. Um,. Because it ties up a lot of what happened in Star Trek 2 in terms of Kirk's relationship with his son, <laughs> quite literally. Um, the Enterprise itself being getting old, getting old, the ship's getting old, what happens to the ship. Um, but it also it, it repositions the crew into being renegades, which is a fantastic jump into maybe the next film you're thinking at the end of this steve i'm sure what the hell's gonna happen next oh, i'm certainly intrigued yeah um yeah it's um but it brings back spock as well of course mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i uh, exactly um i certainly how they brought him back i you know we should have had uh bets on sort of my you know my ideas of the different ways yeah. he could have brought back but well i'm just gonna say it i would never have uh yeah would never have guessed that yeah, I mean, it was it is interesting to look at it from a fresh perspective. It is quite a clever idea, and it was it was clever of them to wrap up his resurrection into the birth of a new planet, planet called Genesis. That Spock's body would be reinvigorated on the surface and age with the planet as the planet was developing as well, which then opens up the story of how the the development of the Genesis project was flawed. Kirk's son David who had worked on it had added in some kind of material that has made it unstable and you know it, but there's a lot of world building in this you get to see Starfleet the space dock at Earth you get to see some Klingon ships and yeah it's the most I feel like we've seen the Klingons since we've watched these yeah. films which is good for me because I haven't seen a lot of the television series so a lot of exposure to the Klingons to kind of get and you got know. Christopher Lloyd as well and Christopher Lloyd yep Big fan Unexpected of guest star there for you. Yeah, I mean, I mean you heard his voice before seeing him, and yeah. well, <laughs> there's no no one else that could have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I really appreciated that. I like I like Christopher Lloyd in this. I think he was good. I think he was suitably intense. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm assuming you know you don't want to you don't want to have an off day when you're working alongside him. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how many of his own crew did he kill? Well, I think he 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 murdered one in full view of the rest of the crew, 
immediately. Mm -hmm. The crew member had accidentally destroyed a ship instead of disabling it, so Christopher Lloyd's character just shot him into, well, vaporised him Mm -hmm. in front of everybody. I think there was a scene before that that was probably cut from the film. One of them spilled uh, coffee on his his (sighs) shoe and you know, absolutely. <laughs> he was gone. He had his hand chopped off. Yeah. Um, but he did kill that agent as well. He shot, blew up her ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a Klingon agent who had looked at some material she shouldn't have seen and he, she told him and he, he blew her up. So, quite a ruthless character. And is that, I mean, this is, shows my ignorance of the Star Trek lore and things like that. Is that a trait of the Klingons or is that a trait of that character? I think it's a... It's a what it's showing you is the Klingons have a different moral code to humans. The Klingons have an honor code where you, you know it's almost like samurai or Japan. It's almost mm. like more Eastern. Well, and that's now that you mention it, I suppose the designs of their their uniforms yeah. kind of had a, a samurai look to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's supposed to be honor over everything, so they tell the truth. I mean, that woman told him something that was going to cause her to die, so that's being shown there. Do you know what I mean? The Klingons are brutal, but also the Klingon captain, played by Christopher Lloyd, also took on that big worm thing on the planet hand-to-hand and killed it at great risk to himself. So he's not... And he says to Kirk as well that he's exhilarated by the planet falling apart around them and flames everywhere. So you're not, you're, he's not a bad guy. He's not a, an evil guy, and the Klingons aren't evil. They're just a different culture. That's the way they are. They live and die by the sword. That's the Klingons. At least the military, anyway. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. you don't see like Klingon like store workers or something. You know what I mean, <laughs> like like working in the Klingon equivalent of Greg's or something. You know, I mean, they're probably not all shooting each other in, in every minute of the day or whatever. But you do get warrior you get cultures with a warrior caste. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, mean, I, I like I find Star Trek 3 to be a, a film that is weak on story in terms of the plot like it plods along a bit and it jumps around a bit it doesn't feel like that in some ways it's it's still enjoyable but I think the strength of Star Trek 3 is where they roped in ILM to do the effects and the designs for some of the other stuff that you see and did the, did the world building mm-hmm. you got to see the commander of Starfleet and the the officers bar and McCoy goes and drinks in another wee bar with aliens everywhere and yeah. there was loads of scenes there was mm-hmm. loads of just stuff yeah rich in that regard uh, I brought it up to you when we were watching it it reminded me of this the, the game series Mass Effect there's a lot of that kind of stuff that they've yeah. clearly taken from Star Trek uh, the sort of there's nightclubs and things like that and it looked like that so I felt like yeah. there's been that, that's the type of influence that, 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 that's maybe this film and other films have had on modern day franchises and video games and stuff like that well here's an interesting one for you um, when I was reading about this about the production of all different Star Trek stuff um, Leonard Nimoy was talking about how he was trying to reconcile the very 60s look of the original series with the more kind of modern 80s look that they had at the time so when he had McCoy go into that bar he, he very specifically had all of the staff dressed up in total 60s stuff mm-hmm. do you know what I mean like it looked like like their hairstyle they looked like girls from the 60s and McCoy, uh, Leonard Nimoy specifically chose that he said I want it I want it to look like there is still a residual 60s style 
in this world mm-hmm. that maybe is just going out of fashion. Right. Okay. Which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, because it it does tie up with that retro. It is plausible that in three hundred years' time we might have a sixties resurgence where things look that way. I can imagine it in ten years' time the way that fashion. Yeah, go, but under change. the hood, it yeah. may be incredibly complex. But on the surface, it's quite minimalist mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. brightly coloured. So that was interesting that those choices were being made there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the time. That's a retro film now that was behaving retro. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you're right. What was it, an eighties film? Yeah, looking back, sixties. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were talking before again in the, in the podcast that got uh, deleted for time. I was looking forward to the James Horner score, the soundtrack. Ah, uh, yeah. And again, I wasn't disappointed. Um, some great moments, some great little, you know, his stuff that I've come to know, and I certainly spotted the Aliens esque music, yeah. which isn't really shouldn't be called that because he's probably done the Star Trek. It's more the, <laughs> the Star Trek sounds, but well, it's more of a James Horner. It's a James Horner theme signature. Yeah, but as well as that, there was a lot of nice, uh, softer. Uh, themes as well mm. that, um, I really enjoyed the opening one with the but it was the, the same it was the same melody as Star Trek 2 mm-hmm. it was just just slowed down and, yeah. and there was the Genesis planet theme which was then extended as well but some of the Klingon battle music was the same as the music that was used for Khan right. as well and yeah. when the Reliant the, the ship that they stole was coming up and attacking the Enterprise those cues were there as well but James Horner's fantastic he's got this very sort of he seems to have got this almost kind of naval battle sound. I think he, uh, yeah, definitely. For a war film and yeah. uh, frantic kind of battle scenes, he's, he's he is fantastic. He really captures it. But usually with a little twist. Yeah. Um, and so, what's interesting, or you'll find intriguing in the next film, I, I don't know who did the soundtrack for the next one, but it's completely different. The next, Star Trek Four is this has the soundtrack that is stand out different to the rest Star Trek 5 then goes back to maybe this sort of style a bit more and then Star Trek 6 Star Trek 6 is my favourite soundtrack of any of the original films Right. Okay. Um, what it does is it pulls all of the good bits from all of the other movies into one fantastic kind of almost because Star Trek 6 was the last film for the original crew it was like a fanfare for them almost this you know, celebratory music. It was just really, really well done. It's quite dark as well. There's some really quite dark music in it, but at the, especially the final suite, which we, unusually, I will make you listen to the final musical score in Star Trek Six. We haven't done that for any of the rest, really. But for that one, we'll make a point of listening to that because it's so good. Okay, I'm up for that. So yeah. Uh, let's talk about one of the major scenes in this film, which uh, was it took me by surprise. I didn't see it coming. The death of Kirk's son. Oh yeah, yeah. Quite a powerful moment that happens. Um, kind of without the same sort of fanfare as you'd expect. Mm. Like it's kind of a you know quick quick death and like a real death. Yeah, uh, but brutal. Uh huh. And obviously, there's the reaction from Kirk. Um, Probably the weakest you'll ever see Kirk. And I'd say maybe Shatner's best acting moment mm-hmm. as Kirk. Mm-hmm. Falling back like that and breaking down. Like trying to, ex- trying to just saying the words, they've killed my son. Mm. You know, it's, you know, that, that was a pretty powerful. And swearing? When was uh-huh. the last time you ever heard Kirk swear? Well, I suppose, yeah. Calling him a Klingon bastard. 
Hang on, do they swear? Do they normally swear in the films? No. Was no. it not made of a bit of a big deal in the new Star Trek Discovery when there was a swear word? Yeah. So I why mean, is that a big deal if it's already been done in one of the films? Well, it's just they're so measured and so professional, I think, in oh, Starfleet right. that they wouldn't, and, and they're supposed to be slightly more emotionally stable in the future. But I think having your son killed, Kirk is angry. If you look at Kirk, Kirk's reaction there, he's fallen down. And then there was the bit after where he speaks to the Klingon and then he turns around and just holds on to the railing for a while. But when he comes out of that, what he did, luring them onto the ship like that and blowing up the ship, that was rev- a revenge move. That was an that was that that was revenge against because Kirk knows what it would be like to lose your whole crew, yeah, of your ship. That was mm-hmm. the worst thing a captain can have happen to him. So he's just had his his son killed. So Kirk says, "We're not. I swear to you, we're not finished." You can tell he's this is revenge against the Klingon for what he's done. I think that was probably one of my favorite scenes. The um, like the switch, and just knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. I thought that was really well done. And I think when it was um when when the the Christopher Lloyd's character, you know, yeah. asks for what, what what's the computer yeah. saying? Speaking? What's it saying? <laughs> and it just you know leans in and you just hear the countdown. Yeah. I mean I, even for the villains I felt a wee bit like sorry for them and a wee yeah. bit of tension for yeah. you know these are the bad guys but I still felt this kind of ominous dread for them yeah there was no way you could get away from that just a few seconds uh-huh. to go yeah <laughs> it was a really well done scene yeah I mean it's it's you'll find this with Star Trek films Star Trek 2 is unusual in that it is 100% or at least 98% good all the way through but Every Star Trek film, regardless of quality, has at least one or two scenes in it that are unbelievably good, mm-hmm. really good. That you wouldn't get any, you know. With it's the actors, it's the quality, of the budget. They've always had good budgets, you know. It's the quality of the music. There's occasionally it comes together into this fantastic moment, and you're like, "This is really good." And that's why people will take scenes out of Star Trek films, and you can actually say you had a top ten. Say you did, I actually was working on YouTube for um, a while back on a sort of Star Trek documentary type thing of Kirk's life, and I was picking out all these bits. I never I never did it in the end. I never finished it. But if you take out the greatest hits and you have them lined up one, one after the other, it's incredible. It looks great, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, definitely some, I would say this. I think Shatner has got a, had a great, uh, he was good in this film, and I think he had a lot of great stuff to do. And I think the the general, you know, the cast were well used. Um, Apart from Ahura. Oh got yeah, she got, she got short straws completely. She didn't even get to leave the ship. The others did. <laughs> um, Although she did stick a guy in a cupboard though. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that bit because that was when the computer started updating. Right. At that specific moment. But Ahura had been assigned to some transporter room with this young guy. And the young guy was getting a bit shirty about Kirk and that beaming away. So she made him. She took her phaser out and locked him in the cupboard and all that. So she had a wee bit of comedy there, and, but her lines in the film well, are very, they're very like, functionary, aren't they? They're, yeah, they're not cr- nothing beyond Captain This. And that. Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel that Hura, all the rest had much more fun. I think probably mm-hmm. doing this. I mean, Sulu got to beat up this guy and destroy consoles and whatever, and he's got a few decent lines. And Chekhov, Chekhov, 
It was lesser, certainly, than in the last film, where Chekhov actually got a sort yeah. of bigger role. I think Sulu got more this Sulu time. this time got a bit, you know, some, some good stuff, you're Scotty right. Scotty got promoted. And Scott, yeah, Scotty got some good scenes um, with the, was it the Admiral who was, the, yeah, when he got yeah. promoted. Um, so again, yeah, really, the biggest loser here was Uhura from the sort of, the main crew. Um, now, I think they addressed that. The next film, all of the cast gets so much time. Right, great. Okay. The next film's like a big ensemble piece, big big time, mm-hmm. in a way that none of the others really okay. are. So they get a chance to shine a bit more in the next one. McCoy, I think, is one of my favourites in this one. Yeah. We were talking about McCoy during the film and his everyman quality I'm really endeared to. Yeah. What was it? What was the line? Tired of ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the line? Is <laughs> what a terrible, terrible time to ask. Or yeah, like she I'm... says, um, "Do you choose the danger or do you choose the risk?" And McCoy's like, "I choose the danger." And then he turns to her and goes, "Hell of a time to die. because <laughs> <laughs> he's not been told that there's any danger yet. He's only just found out. He's he's a great actor. You can see it in his eyes. The guy's you know he but looks the he looks kind of petrified in his face. Uh-huh. Before he spoke, you could tell that he's in front. He's, he's nervous because he's in front of all the crowd. He's just a normal guy, even the way he's dressed. I know he's the everyman, isn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought he was. He looks, looks so dishevelled. Like he just, yeah. just it doesn't look as if he belongs there, <laughs> no. where everyone's so professional and yeah. well dressed and and things like that and futuristic. And there's this guy just limping up. <laughs> well, you'll notice things actually. See, as because you're starting to get a grasp on these characters more now, right? As you go back and watch one, you might watch some of these again, some of these old ones from before this. You'll notice McCoy's lines like, mm-hmm. all these dramatic things are going on. The doors on the starbase aren't opening and McCoy just says to Kirk, are you just going to walk through them? You know what I mean? Like, he's all, he's the one coming out with these lines, basically. Mm-hmm. He's the one who asks the question that the audience wants to know. Uh, I what feel the like, hell are you doing? Uh, yeah, I was saying that to you earlier. He obviously probably the, the most represents us and our yeah. kind of... He talks directly a wee bit like in layman's terms. And, and people can be a bit sarcastic to him. Kirk says things... Kirk said to him in this film... McCoy said something like, "Was nobody going to tell me what's going on?" And Kirk says, "Well, that's what you get for missing staff meetings." <laughs> now, bear in mind, he's been in an insane asylum, so that they're ribbing him. Aye, despite the fact he's clearly going through a really hard time, you know? <laughs> he's been—he's lost his mind. <laughs> um, but they've got that. These people have all known each other for for well more than a well over a decade at this point, so they've got that relationship mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think some of the best stuff. Uh, from this film is the the character beats some of them um, between McCoy and and obviously towards the end of Spock I think there's some real gravitas between these two mm. characters meeting in that scene where he's establishing you know we were friends mm-hmm. that was great yeah. really great to see and again we'll talk about it once we get around to the films but those um, the reboot films they didn't they didn't earn no any of the the kind of any reverence to, to that kind of stuff history well, nice little, little bits actually where Scotty gives McCoy the stuff when he had ripped him out of the Excelsior Scotty gives that to McCoy as a souvenir mm-hmm. you know so you don't you don't often see I mean you do, you do see them interact but it's nice to see interactions between say Scotty and McCoy mm-hmm. or Chekhov and Sula or whatever these other relationships because normally I suppose it does normally feel like that it's just they're all interacting with Kirk yeah but they don't all interact necessarily with the other, like each other, as much. You see, thankfully, you see more of that in in four, four and six definitely. Um, five is very much about the Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, which is good. But 
in 4 and in 6 you get to see all of the other characters like in Star Trek 6 you see a lot of weirdly enough they pair up Scotty and Spock which is quite funny actually because they're so different to each other because Scotty gets quite highly strung I can imagine that's like essentially like an oddball buddy cop film uh, yeah well <laughs> you know Spock's very calm he's you know very logical it's Scotty's at this point bear in mind that Scotty's probably about 70 so he's a bit a bit older, he's a bit, a bit less patience. Mm-hmm. Spock's the same as ever. Scotty's like, what are you talking about, Spock? <laughs> so it's quite interesting yeah. to see these combinations um, of characters and how they... I suppose it's a bit like Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf had that. They would pair off certain ones and occasionally they would have alliances against other pairs. It was mostly always against just Rimmer. <laughs> yeah, but occasionally all three of them would be against Lister uh-huh. or something. Well, you never really seen scenes with Rimmer and the cat. Because it was just something, I don't know why, but you never seen that for some yeah. reason. Those two never really interacted other than just the odd time where Rimmer would look at Kat and she, oh, they would just essentially slag each other. Yeah. But, you know, Rimmer did have a lot of scenes with Lister and Crichton obviously a lot of scenes with mm-hmm. Lister, but I suppose you're right, it was, uh, but Cat and Rimmer never did. I suppose Cat and Crichton never did actually, I think about it. So on it occasion just, when you yeah. get them, you, you, you know there's something different going on there. Um, But yeah, I mean, do you know, it's funny, I don't know... I don't ever perceive this film as a film on its own. It's like a middle part. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it ties off two and leads into three. Oh, sorry, into four. It, it This is the film that opens up the next chapter of the Star Trek crew or the Enterprise crew's lives, in a sense, because they've gone from being... If you look at, if you look at Shatner in Star Trek 2, he was scared of getting old middle age and all that and then obviously you had Spock's death and all of this and I'm feeling younger again but then it's, there's the residual stuff from that but there's almost a youthful resurgence in this film for them all because there's nothing like a bit of teenage rebellion I mean they've, they've kicked a, they've kicked back against the authoritarian side of things haven't they mm-hmm. and they've gone and rebelled saved their pal so it opens up it was a very shrewd move on the part of the writers to do this I think. Are they now going to be on the run? Yeah. Right, okay, because I was going to say, if they're not on the run, that's ridiculous. They're on the run now because they've got a stolen Klingon ship, so the Klingons are after them and Starfleet. All right, okay, uh, yeah. So so everybody, you know, basically everybody... What's the name of the fourth one? Uh, The Voyage Home. The Voyage Home, right, okay. Which, as you can imagine, is not simple. (laughs) Okay. But let's just say that they find a way... They find a way, serendipity works in strange ways, so they are, they are being, they are hunted, people want them, they're going to be in big trouble, they've broken the law, but they may, they may find themselves with a chance to display their heroic qualities. I'm looking forward to it. We don't have long left, because we've certainly, uh, we've kind of, we're going to run out of time soon, you'll have to go. Uh We've got about five minutes. Ah, okay. Um, so we'll kind of summarise our main thoughts on the film uh, and then get to the rating. Um, overall, I like this film. I don't think it certainly wasn't as good as The Wrath of Khan, but mm-hmm. I think that was expected. So my expectations were more or less met. Mm. Uh, I felt the film was quite nicely... It, although it was slow at the beginning, it was... It, it kind of didn't feel like it overstayed its welcome at the same time yeah oh by the way one question i've got for you is do you like the one thing i've always always enjoyed is the continuity of the ship 
the sets and the costumes all look exactly the same. Oh yeah, yeah, which is and nice. Yeah, the cast did look it did look as if it was just two weeks later. Yeah, I like um, that. I like that co- visual continuity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sorry. No, I did appreciate that as well. Um, oh yeah. So overall, I liked it, and and uh, like I said, some great character moments, some great action with the Klingons. I really liked seeing the Klingons now, and kind of uh, and seeing the world building that we've spoken about. Um, so yeah, overall I liked it. Where uh, yeah, you- I, I like it as well. I mean, I, I to me it's a solid like. I would I I would give it a straight down the middle, two point five out of five. Wow, that's actually lower than I thought you would. Well, you might think two point five is low, but it's not really. It's it's fifty percent. It's it's pass mark. It's like it does the job. And it's competent, and mm-hmm. it looks lovely. Like I would say, it's five stars for visuals, for five stars for like world building. Mm-hmm. But it's maybe say we didn't um, round, like we we had to round essentially. We didn't do half marks. For me, it's a free. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking initially four, but I thought I think it's it's if I'm honest with myself, it's just a free. Um, yeah. It's a high free, maybe, but it's just, it's a free in the end. It's a three for a Star Trek film. It's probably a four for like if you were to compare it to all the films out there in the world, because this is a high quality movie. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. The music's amazing. The effects are great for the time. It's you know deficiencies are not. It's it's just not up there. You have to almost rate it down slightly because you've got things like Star Trek two and six and all that in this milieu of films was it seen as a a success at the time obviously yeah, well, it's the film that followed the wrath of Khan. it's the same film what it came out a year after the return of the jedi so there's sci-fi was still yeah i think it was pretty well received was it well received right okay uh, yeah and in fact star trek 4 the one that follows this was the most well received even more so than star trek 2 so these films i know because the the sort of the sort of the saying with the Star Trek films, it's the even films are the better ones. Obviously, this has been an odd film. Was this looked at as lesser, or is it just it's still really good, but there's better the even ones even are even better essentially? I think that's where this one sits. I mean, I don't think anybody's, anybody's going to be massively unkind to this film because you know it it does exactly what it's what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it was never going to be a Star Trek two. Yeah. Or a Star Trek Four, it it's middle child syndrome. This film is the one that's supposed to transition the characters from one life to another. That's mm-hmm. Always going to be the case. I think Len, Leonard Nimoy did an amazing job for his first big. Uh, we haven't touched on that. We, we obviously did speak about that again in the previously d- deleted oh, know, stuff. God. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, director, first time director, taken up. That's amazing. Uh, you know, and yeah, you're right. He has done a great job. Yeah. Um. So there was some rift, was there, between him and Shatner about that? And then obviously that was why maybe Shatner was taken on further down the line, do you think? I think it was more the studio, but I think there was some tension between the actors to a certain extent. But I think as the filming went on, um, Shatner, basically Nimoy, that scene where Kirk falls back and is upset about his son, uh, Nimoy spoke to Shatner quietly on their own about that and felt he felt and Shatner felt that maybe that was some of the best work Shatner had ever done and it was because of Nimoy's direction so the, there was uh, really so good stuff once it's, they started actually 
they yeah, worked together. Yeah, working together, realised, oh, no way, this isn't a bad thing. And Shatner was glad that he had someone who understood his character mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. So, Well, I think that's probably has covered most of it. We've kind of reached our time limit. Uh, right. Three stars in for Star Trek Free: The Search for Spock. And we'll be back possibly next week, hopefully, for Star Trek 4. The Voyage Home. Voyage Home, yep. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I uh, love it. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to this. It's a bit of a shorter podcast this time. I know, it's just because the other part was destroyed. Uh, it is that was some of our best stuff as well, you know? I know. It that was... joke with the elephant. I know. Oh, God. I know. God, the elephant in the room. <laughs> oh, God. God. But yes, uh, yeah, some 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 great stuff has now gone. Don't forget about that. Put a sock in it as well. Oh, that wasn't on the podcast God. anyway. But uh, yeah, if and if you've taken anything from this, is save your save your work. <laughs> and yeah, don't, don't save and don't have automatic updates. No, don't. Yeah. Yep, I'll take the responsibility for that. All right then. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Adios. Hell of a time to ask. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Bye-bye.